The scripture this morning is from Matthew first and then from First Thessalonians. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, We are going to be talking about prayer this morning. Uh, As you saw in your bulletin, we didn't know until the end of the week that Pastor Chris wasn't going to be able to be here because of the COVID, so that's why the bulletin doesn't have the right scripture. It doesn't have the right sermon title. The sermon title is really, Prayer is No Thing. You will find all the scriptures I'm going to talk about this morning are on sheets at the kind of the end of the pews. Uh, you can have those for your reference. You'll also, after the service, have it, have it as a souvenir of our time together. Um, anyway, Pastor Chris is going to be back next week. We've been considering what it means to be members of a church, to be part of the body of Christ in this setting. And next week, he's going to be talking about praying for one another. This morning, I want to talk about prayer in more general, but I think very significant terms. So we're going to get going talking about prayer, and in doing that, let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that we have access into your presence. We thank you that you are faithful to respond to us, always to our good. So as we look at your word this morning, Father, guide our hearts and minds together. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. When you walk into the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, it's quite an amazing experience. The Sistine Chapel is, might not even be as big as this room. It's been several years since I was there, uh, and it may seem bigger than it really was. It's not a big room, but it is remarkable in its presentation. The ceiling, as we know, was, pra- uh, was uh, painted by Michelangelo. And so when you walk in, you are enveloped in this great sweep of his work. And what strikes you is the massive complexity and intricacy of the message that is there pictured on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. However, there's another interesting aspect to it. Uh, You can look at the tiniest detail and see perfection. The place that people look most often is the image of God 
reaching down and Adam reaching up and their fingers touching. You can look at simply that fraction of that great artistic expanse and in those fingers you still find remarkable intimacy and perfection in that tiny segment of that portrayal. And you know, that is the truth of prayer as well. Prayer is vast in its significance. It's vast in its significance in God's plan, yet it is rich and powerful in its tiniest element. I'm not going to try to deal with the entirety of prayer this morning. Uh, We could spend months on that topic. But I do want to talk about prayer in a way that I think is important to our lives as individuals and as a church. Sarah read these two passages, one from Matthew and one from 1 Thessalonians. We're going to talk about those two kind of separately and then tie them together. Because here's my basic point I want to make to you this morning. My basic point is simply what I said already. Prayer is not a thing. It's not a duty. It's a relationship. Prayer is a relationship. But I'm going to take just a moment to talk about what prayer is not. The fact that it's not a thing. Often, our emphasis in prayer is about answers. That's where we test God, right? That's where we make our deals with God. In the old days, it's what they used to call foxhole faith. You know, Lord, get me out of here alive and I'll be good the rest of my life. I think there were a lot of guys who prayed that in in a war setting and you don't blame them. And I might have done the same thing. But we do it in other cases, don't we? The most common one for kids is, oh, Lord, just let me pass this test. Just If I can just pass this test and then I pass the course, thank you. We we do that all kinds of, help me get this job done the way it's supposed to be done. I don't have enough time to get it done. Somehow I got to get this job done. Lord, help me not to be irritated. And that takes all sorts of... uh, Examples: My spouse, my child, my co-worker, the person in front of me who's driving 30 miles an hour and I'm already late. All of those examples can be ideas about how prayer is used as a thing. Matthew 6 also talks about vain repetitions. Mark 12, Mark 12, 40 puts it this way, that this, it talks about this idea of, 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 uh, pretend, of making long prayers. They devour widows' houses, and for show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Bad actions and big prayers don't necessarily go together. But if, if you feel your duty is I have to pray in all circumstances... We, end up, we may end up praying in the wrong way, in the wrong circumstances. You notice that these examples of prayer are what we want 
or what we hope for. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to want things or to hope for things. It's not wrong to pray for things. It is not good to make wanting and hoping the sole context of our prayer life. Because prayer is how we join with God. Prayer is, as I said, a relationship. If you look at a, a Bible concordance or you look it up online, um, you can look at a huge number of references to prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is where I'm not going to get into a six-month-long sermon. But there's a huge number of angles where we can look at prayer. But inferred in all of it, inferred, inferred in these, all these elements about prayer is that what it says in Matthew 6, 8, God knows what we need before we ask for it. Now, I know, because some of you have already asked me this question at other times. Well, if God already knows what we need, why pray at all? Huh, thank you for asking that question. That's what we're going to answer. But our relationship is based on the fact that God knows what we know. So what is this relationship? Well, in Matthew, we see people trying to make themselves through prayer. Through prayer, I'm going to make myself into what God wants me to do. But it's through prayer that God desires to make us who he wants us to be. Prayer is how we go to where God is. Prayer is how, we're, how he takes us where he wants us to be. So here's my proposition to you. Prayer, our practice of it, this relationship with God is couched in God's character. And that relationship encapsulates three things. One, it encapsulates our walk. In John 17, the 17th verse, Jesus, it's what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It is his prayer for his followers just before he goes to the cross. In that prayer, in John 17... Verse 15, rather. He says, my prayer is not that you take them to the Father. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus' hope for us and the guidance of our prayer life is that in the midst of a world that can be full of evil and uncertainty, of concern, of anxiety, God has promised to protect us from the evil one. And he has also promised to be with us in the very intricacies of our daily life. As it says there in Colossians, Colossians 1, for this reason, Paul says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That is our walk with the Lord. Paul is praying about our walk with God. But also our growth. We're never static. God's design is never for us to be static. In Romans 12, 12, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our growth in God is as we know more and more what he would have us do and how he will bring us more into being the person that he would have us be. Now, the third thing, besides our walk and our growth, is that there's a big Bible term called sanctification. The meaning of that word is perfection, to be, be made more perfect. And Jesus says later in John chapter 17, sanctify them, his followers, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God sanctifies us through his word. We walk with him, we grow in him through prayer, and he continues to perfect us in our walk and our growth as we know his word and we live our lives according to its leading. Now, we've got these promises from God, and they are the basis of our relationship with him. But here's the problem. In any relationship, we can only control two things. In any relationship, we can only control two things. Our attitudes and our choices. So let's talk for a minute now about those verses in First Thessalonians that Sarah read. If we can only control our attitudes and our choices, then those verses are pretty tough. Remember that it says there, rejoice always, pray all the time, and give thanks in all things. What can God be thinking? Does he not know the circumstances of my life? Well, we know already that he does. So now even more, what can, be, what can we be thinking? What can he be thinking? Rejoice in everything. Pray all the time. Give thanks. Whew. That can be tough at certain circumstances in life, can it? But that is important Guidance, Because what can God be thinking when he gives us those three very short verses? He's thinking attitudes and choices. That's what those verses are about. Our attitudes and our choices. Rejoicing. You know, rejoicing is attitude. Do I have a rejoicing attitude? Well, let me just speak personally for a moment. No, I don't rejoice all the time. But an attitude of rejoicing, seeking to recognize God's love, his provision for me, his watch care over me, God's love is the reason for my rejoicing. I usually, very often, do not find reason for rejoicing in my circumstances. My circumstances may not be real joy-giving. But my response to that is God's love is always a reason 
for rejoicing. That's why prayer is central to our relationship with God. It's an opportunity to exercise rejoicing, that attitude. And giving thanks, giving thanks in all things, that's choice. That's a choice I have. Because here is where I trust in God's character. Once again, if I trust my thanksgiving to my circumstances, I can give you a dozen things right now that I'm not real thankful about. I'm not going to do that, but I could. But the point is, my thanksgiving resides in the character of God and the promise that he is with me in all things, all circumstances, all events and elements of my life. He is with me. And in that way, I'm not trusting in my circumstances. My thanksgiving is an exercise, a choice to choose God's character, to choose who God is, not what my life is. You see, the idea of being sanctified, being made perfect, yes, that's how we become more like Christ. But I'm not there yet. None of us in this room are there yet. But we're on the way. And our, <clears throat> our attitude of rejoicing, our choice of thanksgiving in that ongoing process is what allows me to become more and more like Christ. But let's talk just another moment about praying without ceasing. Because people have tried all kinds of ideas about this. And you know me to be relatively simple-minded. And so I'm going to try to come at that a different way this morning. That is, a woman by the name of Virginia Satir says an interesting thing. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is. It's what we do about that which makes all the difference. Let me say that. Let me read that to you again. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is. It's what we do about that which makes all the difference. So what do we do about that? The fact that life is what it is, and it comes down to how we respond to that. How do we practice this form of prayer, of rejoicing, and praying without ceasing, and giving thanks. Two things that I'm going to challenge you with this morning. One is, we consciously listen to God. There's two or three ways that we can listen to God. One is to simply sit quietly. The first thing I did this morning, knowing that I was going to preach this morning, the first thing I did this morning was simply to sit quietly. A half hour before the service, I did it again. The last thing I wanted was for my mind to be so busy that I couldn't listen to God. Take time for quietness in your life. Secondly, consciously speak to God. And I would recommend doing it in that order, listening first and speaking second, but consciously speaking to God. Be careful not to say what you think he wants to hear, but to say what he has placed on your heart. So many times we simply want God's approval. We already have that. 
God loves us. He sent his son for us. He gave his son for us. We already have God's love. We now have the opportunity to give him the contents of our heart to say, Lord, you know what's there before I ask, but I want to join you in sharing what is the deepest and most troubling and most challenging and more exciting aspect of my heart. For prayer is not having to perform. It is simply being with God. I would say we don't, we don't worry about praying all the time in the sense of formal praying. God doesn't want us to drive with our eyes closed. But we want, rather than formal prayer, to simply be in touch with God all the time. And this is, again, <clears throat> this is not a perfect activity, but it is always a, gro- a goal to be in touch with God all the time, as much as possible. Because, you know, I want to be always coming back to God. You know, there's an interesting thing. Satan will never tear you away from God. Satan wants you to drift away. Satan doesn't do something that makes himself known to you. He does something that makes you drift and kind of go unconscious and float off from where you need to be. The challenge is that by praying without ceasing, by being in touch with God, by having regular contact by having a sense of my life is in God's hands all the time, that's what keeps us in God's place. And I think that fellowship, as we talk about our prayer life together, as we sit quietly and allow God to speak to us as we listen to him, and as we talk to him about the contents of our heart, we won't drift. We'll be drawn more and more more deeply and more strongly into God's presence and into our walk with him. In James 5, there's the simple verse, the effective prayer of a righteous man, the effective effective prayer of a righteous person availeth much. That's old language. The effective prayer of a righteous person counts a lot, makes a difference, sees things happen. And again, we don't want to slip into that performance idea, i got to pray better, and then things are going to happen. It's not us, folks. It's him. Our prayer life is about God's character and our connection to him. As we listen to him, as we speak from our hearts to him, as we consciously and systematically seek to be in touch with him, he will make us more and more like him. So as you go this week from this place, I would challenge you to make yourself more consciously aware of listening to God, speaking to God from your heart, and staying in touch. All love relationships 
come from communication, contact, and consistency. Our love relationship with God is all about our communication and our consistency, our constancy. Those are the important factors as we grow in him. Now, in just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. In many ways, this service of communion is also a prayer. It is the way we come back to God and be reminded of his love for us and the steps he has taken through Jesus' death and resurrection to make us his children.